Apaba, welcome back to the Team Ghana U podcast, Bite Sides, where you receive news, updates, discussion, and everything significant football and Ghana related. As always, I want you, the listeners, to be actively involved by tweeting or emailing us for discussion or wanting more information. We have another episode of Through the Lens, in which today I'm joined by Coach Yaz. We'll get to what you're currently doing with your platform, but would you like to introduce yourself and give us your background in football? Yeah, no, Andrew, firstly, thank you for having me, man. I really appreciate uh, taking the time out to actually even reach out to me and have me on here. So, um, first of all, thank you for that. Sure. Um, yeah, I'm Coach Yaz. Um, I'm a coach by trade, but um, more importantly, I'm a husband and a father. Um, and I think... Yeah, just just here to kind of help people, you know, through the through what I through what I do. I've spent the last ten, well, ten to twelve years now working in the coach coaching space, working across uh, various different environments, both in the male and female game, inside grassroots football and um, elite academy football as well. And now I, I kind of spend most of my time supporting coaches, developing coaches, um, I guess becoming better versions of themselves um, through different different forms. I mean, I'm, that's the short version. If you've got any questions that you want to kind of fire away, please feel free to do so. Cool. Obviously, I know you've got like um, um, experience obviously in academy football and you spoke about grassroots football as well. And I don't want to necessarily separate the two because I think both are as important as a, both are um, both are, are important as each other. Um, and I think sometimes people try to differentiate the two and I think there's no real need for that to happen. I think they both play a part in the process. Um I think what you've begun is very much needed. One of the reasons, obviously, I brought you on was to discuss the Coaches Network, your platform. Would you like to explain, obviously, what the Coaches Network is and why you begun the platform? Yeah, I mean, I'll go to I'll go to the origins of the Coaches Network before I, or before I talk about what it is in today's uh, in today's space, if you like. So, um, uh, about maybe six years ago. I was, you know, I've had experience working in academies, had obviously worked experience um, outside of academy football. So whether that be in colleges, universities, or even just local grassroots sites. And um, once I stepped into the environment of, you know, academy football and whatnot, it really, uh, I guess, dawned to me just how big of a gap there is between the grassroots community, if you like, and that of the pro game or the elite game, if you will, however you wish to view it. Um, so I guess as a coach, you know, even if I track back even further and look at my story as a coach, and you know, about my background into coaching and in football, I actually got into, I've always been a football fan. Um, I say always been a football fan, but I've always had a passion for the game, if you like. Um, but I didn't actually, coaching wasn't a career that I, I, I'd kind of planned in any way. It was never something that I actually considered doing. Um, my first experience of coaching was actually, Year 11 work experience, done three days with Watford Football Club and, and tagging along with some of their community coaches and things like that. And I thought, oh, I could do this. This is this looks fun. But it was kind of just a passing thought more than anything else. Um, and then age 16, when I left school knowing that I didn't want to be stuck behind a desk or doing anything like that. I needed to be kind of out and about. I didn't actually know what I wanted to do or how I wanted it to look, but I just knew what I didn't want to do. Okay. Um, and that was and that was that was it. So off the back of that, you know, having a passion for kind of like sports and just activities in general, I went to college a couple of years, did sports related courses. But after my second year of college, I was kind of still at that same crossroads again, where I'm thinking, right, I don't really know what I want to do. I've done this for the last two years, uh, but where do I go next? So I applied for uni, um, but I actually don't know. I can't even remember why, to be honest. But I ended up taking a gap here. 
Um, and it was within that gap period that I actually fell into the wrong crowd, got caught up with some people that I shouldn't have been hanging around with. But you know, maybe maybe in hindsight, it's a blessing in disguise. Um, because off the back of that, you know, I got myself a conviction. I got to a point where actually I'm not having to, you know, it's funny we're talking off air about the questions. Um, but I had to ask myself a question: of, Well, what am I doing here? <laughs> um, and what am I going to do next? Um, so it was either I continue doing what I'm doing, sticking around with the people that aren't really elevating me, or I try and do something different and shift the focus of, of where my uh, where my life's heading. If you like, I decided, you know what, I've got I've got I've got an interest in football. Um, it's been, I guess, thrown at me as a consideration in the past. Why don't you go into coaching? Have you ever thought about coaching? I kind of never really played it in my mind. Um, I just went and did my level one. Um, and I can honestly say that's probably the best decision I've ever made because off the back of that, started coaching a um, couple of years in, realised actually I really enjoy this. This is this is brilliant. I love it. I, you know, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't see myself doing anything else at that point. Now, what was interesting though, I've done that for a couple of years. It's probably around the time that we actually met. Um, I ended up, uh, having a situation that because of my previous convictions, mm-hmm. I ended up getting it. I ended up getting put on, put on a, a suspension from coaching because um, what happened was prior to 2011, there was no such thing as a the licensed coaches club. Okay. Didn't exist. Um, it was brought in in and around 2011. At, at which point, uh, one of the kind of uh, I guess stipulations of, of the coaches club and having a membership of the licensed coaches club with the FA was that you had to have. Um, a central, there was a centralized DBS or CRB kind of check um, that would obviously go, to, go on their databases and allow any clubs that you're working with will be able to access that, if that makes sense. Um, so prior to that, the clubs I was working with, the organizations were, they were fully aware of my situation, but there was no centralized database necessarily for the FA to have yeah. observed that as well. Um, it flagged up on their system. They said, oh, we need to look into this. And actually what happened was they, they decided they were going to put me on a, a permanent suspension with a with with a pending review, if you like. Okay. Um, now at that time, I was angry, frustrated. I thought to myself, "This is like this is ridiculous." I, I'm, you know, I can't. I don't want to coach anymore. Let me leave this. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've been punished twice, if you like. Mm-hmm. So what happened was, I spent the next eighteen months kind of not coaching, not really. Didn't, like, I felt like there was something missing. Um, you know, I've I, I become a father for the first time at, at that point. Um, you know, now working in the real world, if you like, but something was missing. It wasn't it just, it just didn't feel right. Um, so what happened was I said, no, I need to go back into this coaching thing and, 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 and try and get this resolved. Appealed it, long story short, got, got it overturned and, you know, the rest was history. So it's, we're, now, we're now in about 2000 and kind of 2013-ish. Okay. Um, get back in coaching, get straight onto my UEFA B at the time. Um, and within a few months, I'm now working at an academy, um, just really kind of immersed myself in it. And the, the, yeah, the rest was history. So from there, like I said, I started to understand, if I go back to what I talked about before, that gap between the grassroots community and that of the elite community, if you like. Yeah. Um, so my thing was, right, what did I, re- why, why did I miss coaching? Well, actually, I missed coaching because it was combining my passion, but my real, what I really enjoyed about it was actually helping people. Yeah. Um, it just so happens that I was able to do it through coaching and combine it with my love for the game, um, which I think is often the case for a lot of people. Um, but the underlying thing is I actually just want to help people, uh, you know, feel better, develop, grow, however you wish to do it. And then off the back of that, I realized, okay, there's a big gap here. How can I add value? So 
I started the coaches network offer. It's just a brief idea, you know, between myself and a friend of mine that we that we spoke about at the time. Was like, have you ever thought about setting up like a group or? Well, no, do you know what? That's a good idea. So set up a initially started like a WhatsApp group and couple of people sharing it through word of mouth. Coaches coming together just to network, share opportunities, share some uh, insights and learning experiences um, from different topics of conversation that were just going on in the group chat. And it was really active, was posting opportunities and jobs for people to kind of look at. Um, but what happened was it's probably doing that for about a good 12 to 18 months. And again, coming back to the types of questions I was asking, I probably wasn't asking the right questions at the time. I later come to the realize, okay, I'm not really getting what I want from this. And I kind of lost sight of, right, why am I doing this in the first place? And I think at the time, I was looking for recognition mm-hmm. for the work I was putting in, but there was nothing. And not because I, but I, don't, I didn't know why I wanted the recognition. But actually, maybe the recognition for me on Hattie Nines, that was probably the social proof that actually I'm adding value. Okay. Do you understand? Um, but then at that time, 18 months on, I've gone through that stage, bit of crossroads. So probably about 2015, 16 now, things started, you know, I, I'm, I'm now going through a different stage in my personal life as well. And I kind of just took my eye off the ball a little bit and kind of stepped back from it. But it was still there. The group's still there. People still able to interact and whatever. But I just probably wasn't as active in, uh, on it as, as much as I was prior. Um, then we got to about 2018. Um, I thought, all right, let me start picking up. My mindset is shifting. I'm, st- I'm in a better place now. Oh, I'm in a place where I can focus on it more. Go back and start doing it and start trying to build it up. Um, going really well. Fast forward to last year, essentially, where it really started to kind of take a bit more shape because at that point, it was just about helping people network, grow, learn, inspire one another. And, you know, yeah, just, just be in a better place. Um, it wasn't. It was never a clear idea of what or how that was going to happen. If that makes sense. Um, and the long and short of it was, we got to the, got to the pandemic last year. We put in a lockdown, and um, in my, you know, obviously, I'm not able to work. No coaching taking place. No coach education taking place because of the lockdown. So I'm sitting at end of March. Got the whole of the uh, whole of April gone, and uh, end of April, my sister's like, "What well, are you doing, my head in now? Because I know you're bored, but you're you're, you're annoying me." <laughs> <laughs> go, and, go and find something to do but I've always had this idea for a podcast so if I go back to kind of that, that 2018 period I started listening to podcasts quite heavily and I really started enjoying different types of podcasts and I thought okay I could do this one day so I've been sitting on an idea for, for a couple of years but never really did anything about it um, got to the pandemic last year I thought she goes All right, you, you know, you've had this idea for the podcast why don't you just do it you've got time on your hands now there's no, there's no excuse and I was like oh, do you know what you're right Cool. Let me just start it. So, um, started the podcast. Um, with the, the main intention was actually just for me to kind of keep myself occupied. So I'm speaking to other coaches, having conversations with different people about different coaching related topics, and learning about their journeys and what they've been through and how, and how they've got to where they've got to, or some of the things that they've been able to unpack on the way there. Um, and what was happening was, is I thought, Do you know what, I'm taking a lot away from these conversations. So if I'm taking away a lot from it, other people might too. Correct. Um, so essentially what it kind of turned into a situation where I'm having conversations with people. Like we, we're having this conversation right now, but you know, if my, if my son was next door listening in, there'll probably be certain things that he's going to pick up on. So why can't anyone else be a fly on the wall in our conversations too? Um, and that was kind of it. So I thought, right, let me just turn it into a podcast, put it up there, put it on Spotify, Apple, whatever, whatever and just see what happens. Um, so I started picking it up and I just thought, you know what? 
who do I want to speak to? Who do I want to learn from? What are the types of people I want to speak to? So I just started um, through networking and, and, and different methods. I started reaching out to these people, trying to connect with different. So, you know, within the first few weeks, it started off with me and a few of my coaching uh, buddies, if you like, just talking about different topics. So I think the first one that we did was a, was about, right, we're in, we're in a pandemic. What's going to be the impact of COVID-19 on, on, on coaching? And how, do, how does that look now? Um, then I think the other one was talking about the, the importance of having a, a mentor in coaching or and then we talk about professional development. And so there's a few different kind of generic topics, but the idea was almost, right, let's have these conversations. But then I thought, okay, let me try something different as well. Started doing interviews with different coaches and this is probably May. So we're coming up, to, I think, I, I, I think it's May 15th. Next week is going to be like a one year and a one year birthday, if you like. Um, started having different people on the podcast. And then what I realized is actually this is going really well, I'm really enjoying this. Um and I had people like Chris Ramsey, Tony Carr, uh, David Coles, he was obviously England England rated goalkeeper uh, coach at the time. I had um Mark Sampson, former England Lionesses manager, currently Stephen Edge assistant manager. Um I had a, a gentleman called Tom Sanfier, who was a, who's a national team manager of Gambia, and he's had loads of experience across different nations. Um, had people like Dan Machici, former England under 16s head coach, currently currently over Arsenal. So I'm happy getting some decent people on there, and I, you know, taking some real bits from them, which is fantastic. And what I didn't realize uh, in 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 the process of all this is actually. Six weeks have gone now, and I've recorded 42, 42 uh, conversations. 42? Yeah. In the first six weeks, I'm thinking to myself, okay, I, I'm, I'm just going through the motions. I'm just enjoying the, I'm enjoying the conversations. So I've not even realised how many how many conversations I'm having. Um, uh, I guess and somewhere along the line, I thought to myself, actually, why am I just limiting this to coaches? Because uh, where, where initially it was almost like, this is a coaching podcast. Like, actually, it's not. It's about someone's journey and we're looking to unpack the thought process and the, and the learnings of their journey. And it just so happens that we're doing using, I guess, coaching space as, as the vehicle to kind of explore that, if you like. Um, but then I thought, okay, if that's the case, why can't we now tap into a different element of this? Because it's not just football coaches, it's not just sports coaches, but actually there's other people involved in this athlete and talent development space, which is, you know, your psychologists, your um, performance, uh, high performance uh, coaches, or you've got your, you know, I've had sleep therapists or physical performance coaches, you name it, all the other people that kind of tie into that, that athlete and talent development space, started reaching out to them, unpacking their their their, their knowledge and their understandings and their expertise. And, you know, again, going through the motions, I said 42 in six weeks. Um, and then what had happened was these episodes are going out. At the time, it was just once a week I was releasing it, but I had kind of a backlog, if you like. And within the first eight weeks this podcast is already in 19 countries and I'm thinking how the hell's that uh, and I think I wasn't so much shocked with the number as I was of where they were from okay so I had Bermuda Suriname Thailand I'm thinking how the hell has this happened but you know it, it is what it is so I've kind of just going from looking I thought all right a couple of weeks down the line it's now in 25 countries um and then I remember sitting with my wife and saying, so, do you know what, I think, I think there's something going on here. Like, this is this is going really well. And, 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 and the best bit about it, it doesn't feel like work. 
just enjoying it. Like, clearly, if it's growing, it's, it's, it's getting widespread reach, then, you know, why not let me continue it? So, but, I've, but at that point, I'm saying to right, I want to make it bigger and better, though. Um, I want to I want to get even bigger guests, and I've had some great guests on at that point, and I've had some great conversations. But I want to let me see let me see where I can take this. Um, she's like, all right, well, what are you waiting for then? I said, I don't know. I just I just come to tell you. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> she's like, well, why don't you do this? Why don't we get we get our shoot paper? Let's write some names down, isn't it? Um, so I thought, yeah, cool. I'm 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 like I'm like hyped at this point. So yeah, let me get on get this guest and that guest. And she said, don't worry about getting them right now. Just write down who you want. So. You know, my, my wife is almost like my right-hand man, if you like. Um, so, you know, we, she obviously she, she started the podcast with me. She's even on the intro of the podcast. And uh, it's like, it's, it's our little project, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and right, I'm putting that list together. Um, so she said, all right, cool, let's start. So I'm putting down big names. I'm talking like Ronaldinho, Beckham, and, you know, Michael Jordan and LeBron James. And, and you know, one of the people, you know, like Shaq, um, you know, I put Saul Campbell and, you know, other people like, you know, you name it. Then folks, I'm not even going to limit it. Just absolutely, let me talk about other people. Let me talk about other, uh, getting other people on there. Like, why not get comedians and whoever on there? Do you know what I mean? And just speak into existence, if you like. Yeah. Um, so did that. This is probably around about, I want to say, end of June last year. Um, and then within a matter of weeks, I'm now in I'm now in contact with some of the some of the people that are, I guess one degree away from the person who I'm who I'm actually trying to connect with, or in some case I'm actually connecting with the person. And for one reason or another, some of these things haven't come come to fruition yet. But actually, what happened was is I realized this is possible just by just by just by setting it out that this is what I want. Yeah, I'm already starting to see some of the progress. It's taking me closer to the goal that I'm trying to hit. Okay, fine. So it's now naturally it's going to give you more motivation and push to kind of go and do it. Um, and then I remember it was probably about end of August time, so I think around that sort of time. Going to going to work at the time, doing I'm doing some like private sessions. I get a call from my wife, um, and she and she's in hysterics. I'm like, you're right. What's up? That sort of thing. And she's like, well, you never guess what happens. So, well, I'm not going to guess if you don't tell me, are you? <laughs> Um, so why don't you tell me why? She goes, oh, I just got a, I just got a FaceTime with Shaquille O'Neal. I was like, okay, cool, cool. Now I guess in my in my mind I'm thinking to myself, all right, cool, all right. We can get gassed about that. Yeah. But I want to know what was said. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not interested. Like, you told me that you told me that part, but what's juicy part? Where's the juicy part? Is he going to do it or is he not? And she's like, yeah, he's, he's going to jump on it. He's he's he's, he's going to do the podcast. Um, so I was like, all right, cool. Um, when is it going to happen? And uh, look, long story short, we set a time, but obviously, remember, look, I'm not paying him. It's not, it's not, it's not a contract. No agreement in place like that. So it's almost like kind of got to be on his t- on his timing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Set a time. I think it must have been like ten o'clock or something like that. Our time, and like it would have been like five o'clock for him or something like that. Ten o'clock come, then happen. Eleven o'clock come, nothing. Midnight, nothing. One a.m., nothing. Two a.m., nothing. Three a.m., nothing. Anyway, we get to about three thirty, and we, we went to sleep. So this is this is like we can't wait forever, do you know what I mean? Um and literally we woke up about 7:30, but to realize there was a text on the phone that said, Yeah, let's go, I'm ready. Um so we've just missed Shaquille and I'm thinking, ah oh, man, this is this is this is annoying, right? Fast forward um to like maybe four weeks down the line, similar thing happens again. And then 
kind of just pushed it aside for a bit. And in the process of doing that, we started reaching out to other people, started landing on other people. So in, in, in the midst of all that happening, um, started speaking and connecting to other, other athletes and coaches that, that I've got on board since. And um, I'm going to have uh, coming up soon. One of them was Sol Campbell. So we recorded with Sol Campbell at the start of December. Things are going well. Podcast growing. 29 countries by the end of December. Um, get to Christmas Day. And I don't know, I'm on a high. I'm on a real high. And I said, you know what? Babe, give Shaq a call. Although we've got his number by this point, right? We've actually got his number. It's not like we're just connecting with someone. We've actually got his phone number. So just give him a call. I don't know what it was, I don't know what it was, but on Christmas Day, I said, this is going to happen today. Right. Yeah, because I heard in the in the in the conversation it was Christmas Day because you know wishing each other happy Christmas. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I don't know what I was it. Like, this is going to happen today, but we 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 got to do it. Just call him. Call him. He said, right, yeah. He goes, yeah, how's it going? Like, as if it was just like, yeah, you know, I was chatting to one of my boys. <laughs> um, all right, cool. He's like, oh, yeah, it's probably around two o'clock where he was. He goes, like, I'm going out now. I'll be back in a couple of hours and we'll get it done. Cool. Now, I'm staying positive. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. going to happen. Set a time. So I think we said around seven, eight hours time. What happens? Nothing. Nothing at seven, nothing at eight, nothing at nine, nothing at ten. You know the gist. Get to one a.m. Cool, let's go. I'm doing it. Now we're expecting him to be home, chilling, whatever. But actually, he's now still in his family home. They're celebrating Christmas, whatever. So it's one a.m. on Christmas Day, our time, whatever time it is over there in Bok- for them. Uh, well, Boxing Day for us now. At this point, I'm sitting on I'm sitting on a, a webinar call with Shaquille O'Neal and like you know from there it was just like wow this is actually happening um it's mad to think that you know nobody would have got his number I'm sitting in front of having a conversation yeah. with him it just you know within less than what less than six months of starting my podcast it's, it's, it's mad um release it the following week on New Year's Day um and it was at like 29 countries in December by the end of that first week of Jan it went up to 69 countries. Okay, that's great. Right, so massive, just like, boom, just like that. Um, I think within, and I put out a little snippet of, of the conversation and within like two hours of it of it being out, that got like 300,000 views or something crazy, something crazy like that. I thought to myself, right, okay, we've got, got, got something here now, we can work on this. So we've got, and the rest of the history, so off the back of that, started building and eventually long story short is you know we started adding some real value to people and then people were thinking right okay there's, there's some stuff going on here there's some great stories and I think that gave an opportunity to anyone that saw that one to potentially open up the catalogue to the rest of the episodes I've done yeah because there's been some fascinating stories and then I think the key thing is it's not about who the story's about it's about what the journey is yeah um, and that and that's what I want really people to kind of pay attention to and there's been a lot of value added and I kind of went a long way around to answer your question but that's what the coaches network is about. It's about sharing information, sharing insights from people's journeys, regardless of what path they've come from, and sharing expertise. And just ultimately, you know, if you had to kind of sum it up in a sentence, the coaches network is about adding value to people. You said a number of things which I, well, not number, you said two things which I want to kind of like touch on. I think the timeline and story, I think, is incredible. Um, so I guess my first question is what is the importance of CPD in education? Well, What's the importance of CPD and education and football? But also, with the guests that you've interviewed, also including Shaquille O'Neal, 
networking and exchanging ideas obviously is one of the great things about coaching from your podcast and the number of guests that you've discussed can you give us maybe a couple of like takeaway points um I can I can I can give you uh, yeah I'll give you a couple of things that I've picked up and I think that have been consistent. No matter who the story is, whose journey is, who the person I'm speaking to, I think one of the main consistent things I've seen across everyone is believing in yourself, right? Which is which is which is a real challenge at times because sometimes we look to others for affirmation and confirmation yes. of, of our value but actually we have to believe it before we can allow anyone else or before we can before anyone else will just then and sometimes I, I use I use this analogy now you correct me from you ain't got kids have you no younger cousins maybe siblings yes, or, yes. yeah or nephews and, or whatnot now you don't see them every day no so for you, when you do see them, especially after an extended period of time, you'll notice that they've grown. Correct. Right? When I'm with my kids on a daily basis, I don't notice that they've grown until I need to buy them new clothes or a new pair of shoes. Right? That's when it's like, oh, he's grown. <laughs> right, let's sort that out. So it's the same, the same with us as individuals. Um, we don't know how much value we're adding until we need to change our clothes and shoes. Do you understand? And I think that that's 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 the key thing. So I think it's understanding that we've all got value to add. And that's that's another key thing. We've all got value to add. But I, I like to use this analogy as well. You can have a seed, but it's only powerful once you plant it. In my hand or in my pocket, it doesn't it's not going to do anything. But by you planting it, you're giving it life. Now, what you do from that point onwards is the nurturing phase. Now, I've got my child. They're there. But until I appreciate that, actually, this is a process, they're not going to end up, they're not going to come out the womb 25 years old or six foot three. They're going to work their way to that in one way or another, and, and there's going to be a journey to it. Um, that's probably one of the biggest takeaways. It's actually un un understand that you have, we all have value. And it's you having self-belief and personal belief in, in the value that you can bring to that environment. Um, and I guess another, I guess a, a tangible kind of thing I've taken away from it, that's not come from any one particular person, but it's, it's again, it's, it's the conversation that we were having off air and understanding that actually the power of the questions you ask yourself as an individual will dictate how successful you'll become. Um, and I, I, I like to kind of just, you know, even with all the coaches that I work with and with people, I challenge, challenge everyone, just become passionately curious. You said a number of really interesting things. I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure you said it on air rather than off the air. But I think you spoke about delivery and you said like, anyway, you spoke about delivery and obviously the importance of delivery. And that's how people are going to let's say, learn and become better people. And you spoke about obviously planting that seed. And I guess... That is the importance of CPD and that I think if you're willing to plant that seed, if the instructor or the person that you're speaking with, be that your mentor, depending on their delivery, and I'm obviously I'm hoping obviously if there's a very, very good delivery, that person is going to grow exponentially, dare I say. And then also there's another thing that you mentioned as well in regards to Shaq and let's say a number of different conversations you had. 
the one thing I took away from the Shaq interview, and dare I say, people in the States in general, will certainly their attitude towards sport, is that they have a lot of fortitude. They, they never say die attitude. You know what I mean? Uh, that takes them and, and plows them across the line. And that's something that I do contrast with as to um, Sir Alex Ferguson and Manchester United, because I've tried to really dig into cultures as of late because I think those type of things are really important to understand obviously why people are successful but like leading to my next question what type of courses do you provide obviously with the the coaches network yes I mean there's there's, you know it's it's still an evolving process still kind of early on in 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 the coach development uh place if you like or that space if you like um as an organization but essentially the kind of stuff that I do is uh, there's, there's one main program that I've got at the moment for coaches and that's around helping coaches identify the foundations of their coaching philosophy. Uh, it's my belief and my, of, you know, off the back of the experiences I've had over the years that every coach has a philosophy, but the majority of coaches don't actually understand or know or better yet. Yeah. If they were to be asked the question, what is your coaching philosophy? A lot of coaches from my experience would often sh- go straight to the idea of describing how they want their team to play. But losing sight, actually, that's not the coaching philosophy. That's your playing philosophy. What is your philosophy as a coach? What type of coach are you? Why are you this type of coach? How do you deliver in a way that represents that's the type of coach you are? If that makes sense. And these are the questions, again, I'll come back to that question piece. These are the questions that either coaches have considered and never been able to answer or they haven't even considered because it's never been posed a question in the first place. Um, so a large part of that workshop is around helping coaches unpack the foundations of their coaching philosophy and giving them a framework to kind of work, uh, to kind of essentially lay that platform for them to kind of decide, right, which way we're going to build on this. Are we going to build a, a three-story house on this? Are we going to build a flat or bungalow? It's up to you what you want to do with it. But all I'm doing is helping coaches lay the foundations for that. Um, by provoking thought, stretching and challenging them in different ways, but mainly through probing um, and specific questions. The second part, what, what I'm currently doing in terms of supporting coaches um, is actually I run a coach mentoring program. Um, so I take coaches through a four-week uh, kind of crash course, if you like. Um, so it's two hours a week. Uh, collaborating with myself and a few other coaches who are on the call. So at the moment, I've got, uh, you know, the, the call is limited to 12 coaches. Um, and it's about essentially me utilizing my experiences, um, pulling on the experience of those within the call to ask some, you know, maybe thought provoking questions, provide some uh, specific and but elaborative um, points of discussion for us to share, collaborate, and, 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 if you like, debate over, um, but also in a structure where there's some tangible things that come off the back of it. There's some, there's some goals and tasks set for the coaches that are involved. Um, and it's almost, almost, if you like, it becomes an accountability group, um, which I think is important. Um, in fact, I've just got two messages come through from two, two of the mentees that I'm working with now because I've set them a task that they were meant to kind of get back to me by 12.30 this afternoon. And, you know, they, they've both beat the clock. So fair <laughs> play to them. Um, and then the final piece that I'm, I currently do as well is I actually work with a lot of grassroots clubs where I go into the clubs, and, you know, whether that be or at the moment virtually, um, and I kind of support and either deliver some of these programs with the coaches or 
if there's a specific tailored uh, need that a club has, um, create a structural scheme of work um, or a syllabus, if you like, um, to, to, that's bespoke to that organisation. Um, so there's, there's, there's a few different things on that front. And then there's a few, you know, there's one other thing, obviously, that I'm working at the moment is obviously I'm running webinars. So I've got my, you know, I've got a webinar coming up on the 6th of June where I'm going to be having, it's going to be a foundation-based special event, which is kind of focusing on that 5 to 11s kind of age group, 5 to 12s. Um, and I've got the lead phase coaches from uh, Norwich, Watford and Wolves, as well as um, the foundation-based lead at the FA, Pete Sturgis, uh, where I'm essentially going to host a roundtable discussion, a virtual roundtable with each of these guys around some of the things that they might come across within the foundation phase, working with some of those younger players, some of the challenges that they're facing, maybe discussing, comparing and contrast some of their perspectives on it. But then, you know, with a view to kind of wrapping that conversation up with some key takeaways for people to kind of think about applying within their own environments. Um, so there's just a few, a few of the things that I'm doing at the moment in, on that space. You mentioned clubs. Coaches are important, but you mentioned clubs. And I often say infrastructures are what would determine success. And in our recent like podcasts and also the articles as well, like these these type of things have been highlighted in reference to the states because obviously we know they're fantastic in reference to their infrastructures and how they I don't want to say promote, but we use the word as to fortitude. But not only that, their scientific um, processes in regards to sports science. Uh, and then there's, on the other end of the spectrum, there's Qatar. And the reason why I say Qatar is because they've invested a lot of money in regards to developing um, sport facilities, but at the same time bringing some of the best coaches in the world to develop their game. And also with the, uh, the upcoming World Cup 2022. And then just, not piggybacking, but backtracking as something else we've done before, we were having a conversation with a Spanish coach and I asked him what were the, the main things or main ingredients as to why Spain was successful. And not that, but what I find really interesting in life is there are some things I think we've heard before, but the way he said it, like really like tweaked my ear. And, he, and, he, and to, to, in essence, what he said was, is the reason why Spain have become so successful is because they've invested a lot of time in developing a lot of coaches, which is why I've taken an interest in what you're doing really, because I think when you look at the numbers as well, Spain have the most qualified, I think, coaches in the world in regards to, I think, their yeah. UEFA for A and B. And I thought yeah. that was really interesting. I think there's a couple of things there, Andrew. First of all, um, the numbers, the numbers, the numbers, um, they're not false, but they, they, don't, they don't give a true representation. I as the, true. Plan, right? um, because it doesn't, consider, it doesn't take into consideration coaches that are no longer active. Okay. It doesn't take into consideration the coaches that not only are no longer active, but it doesn't take into consideration coaches that have even passed away. <laughs> uh, do you know what I mean? It's just these. Are, this is the database. This is this is how many people are qualified. Um, but the other thing it also doesn't consider is taking consideration, especially from an English perspective, is that uh, I believe it was in 1997 or 1998, and this is does, this is something that probably doesn't get as as much uh, press or highlighted as as much as it maybe should do, just to kind of give a true representation of what's actually happened. I think it was around that sort of time towards the end of the 90s where uh, the UEFA coaching convention came into place, which is basically, um, yeah, it's just basically the coaches' association as part of UEFA, if you like. And what had happened was I think all the all the, all the participating or member, member, member governing bodies were given an option at that point, I believe, where if you, if you had a level two, um, qualification 
and you became part of the UEFA coaching convention, you had an option to have automatically all the level two coaches upgraded and awarded and licensed a UEFA B. Okay. What year was that? Uh, I believe it was 97, 98 when it came into place or something like that. So what actually happened, from my understanding, and don't quote me on this, but I believe the English FA were the only FA that said, we're not going to do that. Okay. We're going to join the convention, but we're not going to upgrade the coaches. We're not going to award them licenses that they haven't uh, completed yet, if you like. Um, which now straight away, the numbers of everywhere else. Skewed. They are skewed, of course. Now they're skewed. Right. So I think that 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 information obviously doesn't really get highlighted a lot. So that, that it can really paint a, a different picture than what the reality is. However, I do believe that coach education needs to be better. And to be fair to the FA, they've been fantastic at it over, over, over the more recent years than prior. But I think there's always been a good pathway in the, co- in the coach education system. I think it was very rigid, um, probably when, certainly when I came through as a young coach, yeah. probably similar to what you kind of experienced in your early days, maybe. Um, it has changed massively now. However, um, there's always going to be benefits and, and you know um, drawbacks to every process or every system that's in place. Um but I do think coach education is key. And I think one of the challenges is um, we've also got to remember that in England, in the UK in particular, we've also got a lot more coaches, which means it's harder to actually get onto the qualifications Correct. as you go up the, up the ranks. So uh, the competition is rife um, to actually get on these qualifications. I know that some of the, some of the European countries, you actually can't get into a coaching qualification unless you, unless you pass an interview. Um, because that's how they kind of maybe weed out the ones who should be working at the higher levels, because that's mm-hmm. what they, if, if you like, they are considered to be career coaches, as opposed to over here, what you what you get a lot of is certificate collectors. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Or opportunists. So as an example, you know, if we if we take, oh, there's, there's, there's funding available to go on the UAP, right, I'll do that. But because you've gone by the funding route, you've also not got the same dedication and commitment to completing it. Right. Um, so it, it, there's, there's so many different challenges but you know coming back to your question I think the coach education piece is, is incredibly important and I you know I, I, start, I guess anyone listens to this I challenge them to kind of start thinking right it's not always the formal qualifications which give you the best experience and best best learnings um, however it's very easy to understand how those would be prioritised because those are the ones seemingly that will get you up the ladder but actually I know coaches who were level two coaches were excellent. Yeah. And I would go as far as saying they may be set better than some of the UEFA B and even UEFA A coaches that I know. So it's not necessarily the qualification which makes you the best, but it's actually the knowledge and experience that you've got and how you're able to apply it, which actually matters most. Um, and if, you know, like we, we spoke as well yesterday and I mentioned, you, know, you can go and get the information from anywhere. The information yeah. is out there. But how, you, how is, is, it, is it digestible and palatable in the way that you need it? In the way that it strikes a chord of you, and you talk, you talked a bit about the, the Spanish gentleman that you spoke to, and the way it's not what he said that necessarily that, that struck you, but it's the way he the way he kind of posed it to you that made a difference. It wasn't a it wasn't a message that you hadn't heard before, correct? But the way he said it was it made you made you hmm. all right. I see that, and just it just struck a different chord. Like like you said, so I think yeah, coach education is important. I think any coach out there. Remember, there's a lot, there's a lot of it, there is a lot of information out there. So the other challenge is, is how much does it cost, right? 
I was having this conversation yesterday with someone else and I was talking about mentorship and things like that. Well, actually having a mentor is actually very useful because a good mentor will be able to compile their experience in the form of systems, processes, and frameworks, which can save years of time. That's my language, system, process, infrastructures. I love that. Yeah, system, process, and frameworks where it can save you years of time. So what's taken a, 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 an experienced coach, mentor in this capacity, 10, 15 years to, to, to learn and experience, you might just save yourself 10 years going through it, trying to learn it yourself when you actually there's a framework right there that you might have to invest in yourself in first. You said, there's so many things you said that I think are really, really interesting. Obviously, I know we're kind of strapped for time. Um, in regards to like certification, and obviously, actually, actually, actual education. I think it's important um, that we distinguish the two. I think obviously, with some of the courses that um, have high-profile certification, of course, you can you can take away a lot of things from that. But at the same time, there are a lot of programs out there um, away from the certification which you can really take on take on a lot more. And that actually points the that points well points my finger in the direction of of mentorship and and infrastructures and as to someone who's been through those experiences and who can. I don't want to say shortcuts, I don't like the word shortcut, but can provide you with an easier route towards becoming someone who's a bit more accomplished or a bit more rounded uh, as a coach and as an individual. And just touching on England itself, I think there's been some phenomenal work that's been done in this country in relation to developing coaches and not even developing coaches, actually, where we are today. Because at 2000 or let's say 20 years ago, like, the discussion around youth development wasn't necessarily positive. You know, there was always um, a negative slant on it. And I think a lot of work and homework has been done in reference to comparison or doing research, whereas Claire Fontaine, Tika Taka, we, I mean, we, we can go on for a Brazilian football, we can go on for um, a day and longer, you know what I mean, as to the comparisons available. We spoke as to, like, philosophies off the air, I think it was yesterday, and a word that everyone discusses, but as you mentioned, is very difficult to implement. Do you care to explain the significance of the roles of modern-day individuals like Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp and how they've had an impact on their club and how the work and infrastructures, um, or the, the work and infrastructures involved to create that culture? As, a, as an educator, how do you see it? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's a really good question. I think the, the, key, the key thing is, You talk about infrastructure and you use that word quite quite a few times. And I think the infrastructure piece is really key here. It's whatever you do. I mean, I can have the best philosophy in the world that works for me, but if people aren't buying into it, it's not going to mean a thing. Mm -hmm. And remember what I said about ha having kids. It's a process. You're not going to see the results from day one. You're not going to see it grow until uh, the first trophy comes through the door. You're not going to see that it, there's been growth until they get to the Champions League final. You're not going to see this growth until they win the Champions League. Do you understand? And, you know, I could go to the Champions League final four years in a row, but if I don't win it, there's no growth. That's the way it's going to be looked at. Yeah. I don't need a new pair of shoes because it hasn't, I, I, my, my feet haven't got big enough yet. Sure. You understand? And, but within that, it's also about what is the infrastructure value? And it's all down to values and beliefs. So what do you value? You can have Pep Guardiola in your club, but if you don't value what he does and, and the impact it can have on your organisation, and if it's not in alignment more than anything else with what you value, you might value it, but it might not be the values that you want to kind of um, live by. 
You understand? So if it's not in, in, in alignment with that, your vision of what you want what you want your club to be or what you want your organisation to be, then it doesn't matter who's there. Um, however, there is people out there that you can look to like a body or like a clock or, or even, you know, if, if, dare I say, someone even like a, a Mourinho or, or an Allardyce, it doesn't matter what their philosophy is, but there's some, there's some, there's going to be things that they do that align with you. The challenges and it comes back to this conversation we was having before is what are you asking yourself when you're looking at assessing the person? What kind of questions are you asking? Why are you valuing it? What's more important to you? The impact it's having or how it looks? You are mentioned you why yesterday. Yeah. Are you outcome focused or are you, are you driven by the process? Are you more in tune with the process and how you get there? Depends what level of game you're working in, whether you're working in youth football, whether you're working in first team football. So there's, always, there's so many, I guess, considerations you need to make. And I think these people are there, but I think the key thing to kind of really take away from it is you've got to ask yourself a better question. You've got to understand what you're trying to achieve. It's all well and good looking at, you know, Guardiola, Mourinho, whoever it is, and saying, yeah, they're doing great work. I love the way they do that. But actually, just because they're doing it, it works for them doesn't mean it's going to work for you. You understand? Doesn't mean it's going to work for you because you're not working with the same people. You're not working around the same people. You're not impacting the same type of people. You're not You're not doing it. Uh, yeah, and, and this is what I say, again, I'm having this conversation yesterday with someone else and we're talking about... Um, Having having a, having a framework to follow, you can follow the framework. You can follow it to a T. But if you're not, if you don't believe in the process, it's not going to work. All you're going to be doing is emulating behaviors without understanding the the, the true under, the, the true reason for it. And if you don't understand the reason, how the hell are you can do it passionately? Incredible. Because what I, what I find interesting about what you said there for the past um, thirty seconds or so, Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp, Alex Ferguson. Again, the list could be endless. Their whys are completely different to everybody else's. So a lot of people are seeing the outcomes right, and are trying to replicate it, but their whys are completely different to yours. And I think it's not even just that. It's, if you go be, if you go right into the, the motherboard of everything, not only are their whys different to yours, but the people who you've got in front of you have different whys to theirs. So therefore, the, the process can only... That's, that's why it's a framework. It's a guideline. It's not a, uh, a guaranteed fix. It's not a cookie cutter. It's not a cookie cutter approach, and it can't be, and it never can be, because literally, if you go with a cookie cutter mentality, which is what essentially um, the English FA had been doing for a long time, that's how you fall behind. You talked about the Spanish FA as an example, investing heavily in their coaches. Well, what the English FA have done now. If you, if you think about it, and I think they've, they've, they've actually done it to, to a really, really high standard, if you like, but they've actually taken some of the best ideas from here and here and here and here and just brought it all, all together, if you like. But the challenge that they've got now is where it was, for me, heavily technically, technically focused before. I think it's lost a lot of that. And it's interesting because I was listening to uh, listening to a, a, an interview with Arsene Wenger recently. Um, and people ask me, "Well, yes, you know, you talk about philosophy all the time. What's your philosophy?" And I often say, "Do you know what? I don't have a playing philosophy. I don't believe in having one because I'm not Pep Guardiola. Um, I don't get the luxury of saying this is how I want to play and getting a, an open checkbook to go and buy the people that fit the roles. 
I have to work with what I've got. So I don't believe in having a playing philosophy. What I do believe in is, is, is a coaching philosophy. The coaching philosophy is more important to me. So say, well, what is your coaching philosophy? Um, and my thing is, well, I consider myself as a coach and a why. I'm no longer interested in telling uh, players what to, uh, what to do or how to do it. But I'm now interested in, right, you make a decision and let's look at the reason why you made that decision. What impacted you in that moment? What did you consider as, as a, a vital information, if you like, through that process? So as an example, and I always use this analogy of, uh, how old are you, Andrew? Um, 36 and about All right, cool. So you're a couple of years older than me, right? So you'll probably remember this. Um, we're talking primary school days or maybe, maybe you probably just started secondary school at the time, maybe. Do you remember they had the little hedgehogs crossing the road? Oh my god, yes. Yeah, you remember that advert? That was that was my. The key messages in the advert were what? what look left. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're gonna look left, look right, but you gotta look left again. But just because you're looking left and right doesn't mean you're focusing on the right things. So it's, it's what are you paying attention to, and, uh, uh, and that that's the key piece. So I, I want to, you know, I just want to share a brief story in it. Have you heard of a guy called Matt Emmons? I think so, but go on. I think as you speak right. to me. So there's a guy called Matt Emmons, right? Um, he was an Olympic athlete, competed in the Games Sydney 2004. Okay. Was it 2004, 2000? Athens 2004, apologies. Athens 2004, I think Sydney was 2000, isn't it? Yes. Um, competed in the Olympic Games in Athens. Prior to, prior to the Olympic Games, um, he was considered widely or even during the Olympic Games, he was considered widely to be the best in the world at what he did. Um, held junior, junior world records, held you know various titles and leading up to the Olympics. Um, now, he got to an event where he was en route to win Olympic double gold, I believe. Um, so he's in the final 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 of the event. There's eight, eight, eight rifle shooters in the event. And this particular event was a 50-meter uh, three-position event. So what it was essentially was it was 50 meters from target, um, and they had to shoot from three different positions. One being prone, so on the on the on lying down on the on their front, if you like. The second one being, I think it was, uh, I, I don't know, if it was on their knees. I don't know, I can't remember if it was one knee or two knee. They need to be on, uh, presumably one knee. Um, and then the third shot was standing up. So he's he's in he's in the pole position to win gold, and all he has to do to win gold in this in this um, event is literally hit the target. Doesn't matter where he gets. He just needs to hit the target. Yeah. He's now in the process of taking a sh taking a shot. Now, just try and visualize it for a second. So he's he's slowing his breathing down so there's less movement, less recoil, or whatever you want to call it. Um, so he can position himself and really steady himself. Slowing his breathing down, and he starts pulling on that trigger. And that, that, as he's pulling the trigger, he starts pulling it, pulling it, and squeezing it. Now he squeezes it during the breaths, between the breaths, sorry. So between the heartbeat, he's just squeezing. So he's really got maximal concentration and focus mm -hmm. on what he's doing, right? Beat, 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 waits for the next little kind of stop between the heartbeats and bang. Hits bullseye. Dead center. Couldn't get it any better. After that shot, he went from being first to eighth in the competition. <laughs> what happened? Go on, tell me. <laughs> he hit the target on the lane next to him. 
right? He's hit the target on the lane next to him. And it comes back to, it, it, it kind of just lays down my philosophy for me as a coach. What are we paying attention to? Are we paying attention to the right thing? Because if we're paying attention to the wrong things and do it absolutely spot on, it ain't going to make a difference. You know what? What you said there, it leads me on to my next point because you, we, we discussed cookie cutter and we, we discussed the philosophy. And I think as you're talking, the things that came to mind were, I think with your, if it's your philosophy, it comes from a very pure place. Whereas if it's not your philosophy and you've just seen someone being successful, then you kind of adopt that cookie cutter approach. Yeah. And that's why some people haven't been successful because you see a number of individuals, whether it's in the Premier League or football in general, they see... Oh, so Arsene Wenger came in, and also everybody wants to play football. Pep Guardiola, I mean, then that got phased out. Then Guardiola comes in, and he wasn't really successful to begin with. Then once he became successful, everybody wants to adopt Pep Guardiola's approach. Then Klopp comes in, um, kind of edges out Pep in, I forget what year it was, and now also everybody wants to be on the front foot. All of a sudden, it's like football at 100 miles an hour. And I think, I guess what I'm trying to say is, I think if the philosophy is is not pure and doesn't necessarily come from the heart and what you believe in, then it's very, very difficult to be successful, which leads me on to... It's impossible. It's, it is impossible, actually. It is. It's impossible. Why I say that? Because if it, when it, when it, if it's not organic and authentic, then you don't... The, the timing is off. So I say to coaches all the time, and, and, and I, as a coach, we've always been told to go and observe other coaches. What are we observing? What are we actually looking for? And, you know, we talk about, you know, putting a session together. Okay, fine. Go and look at another coach, pick up a session. Now, I'm sure we've all been there, and I've been there in the past myself. Where, right, I see so-and-so, do, and I'll come down, watch Andrew do a session. Andrew, oh, that's a great session. I know what I'm doing next week now. But actually, you do until it stops working. That point it stops working you don't know what you don't know what's next because you don't know why that session was a session in the first place you don't know why that person did that in the first place because you haven't asked the right question you don't understand the process all you're focused on is the outcome you don't know his wise and that's it you don't know the wise and i think that, that and that's why for me I'm, as a coach i'm now thinking about i need to help people understand the wise why are you passing the ball in this way and is there a time where actually if we go back to the analogy of the, 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 the hedgehogs crossing the road, they can look left, they can look right, they can look left again. The road might be clear. But what's the most important thing? Focusing. Focusing on what though? If, if, if the light is still green for cars to go, you can't go. No, you can't go. But this is where I say, to, I say to, well, in the football context, I'm working with players as an example, right? Now, I'm never going to tell you that you can't go specifically because I want you to understand the reasons as to why you feel that you can't go in that moment. So now, if the road is clear, it's not that you can't go, you shouldn't go. The law tells us or the rules tell us we should not go at this point because there's a green light for the cars and there's a red light for you. But if no cars have come through in the next 15 seconds and you can see it's absolutely clear, yes or no, you might still cross that road. Because now you're assessing what? You're taking into consideration all the information around you, right? And you're, and you're, now, you're now doing risk versus reward, essentially. <laughs> I, could sell myself, I could save myself 20 seconds here because there's no car coming. Whereas if I wait for the cars to come or if I wait for the light to actually turn red, I then have to wait for it. Then it has to turn and then I can have to cross. So I've probably lost 20 seconds of my life, right? Not that big a deal. 
but that's the pro- that's basically the process in which we follow. Yeah. Now, I'm get my thing is why well, I want players to understand why are you making that decision. What's making you make that decision? Because if you can pay attention to what's making you make that decision, you will then understand better to when that decision is no longer appropriate. Now, my experience tells me the players who end up making it are the ones who make better decisions and not necessarily the most technical, most technical um, players or the most technically gifted players. It's the players that actually understand, right, I might have a 10 out of 10 technique, but I've got no idea when these, when these things are actually useful. What's the point? Whereas I'd rather have the 6 out of 10 player who always knows exactly when to use that tool. Very well said. Very well and said. that's what my, my philosophy is as a coach. I want to get the players to that point where they're actually now asking themselves better questions. I want coaches to get to the point where you're asking yourself different questions and making and, and enforcing those same or imposing those same sorts of questions and mindsets on the players that you work with. That's just my, that's just my thing though, isn't it? No, no, that's phenomenal. And as you're speaking, I could tell you spent hours and hours on your craft and asking yourself those questions because that's what it takes to develop a philosophy. It takes hours of hours and hours of asking yourself questions. But like onto my last question, uh, and I tend to ask all my guests this from coaching education or within the field of CPD, what would you like to see within the next five years? Within your um, field. I don't I don't know if it's got a coach education thing specifically, but what, what, what I'd want to see is coaches approach their 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 development differently. So it's rather than an, an organizational or infrastructure thing or a system thing, I think it's the actual individuals involved. Once you become a coach, if you can it's gonna sound like a, a broken record, but what, why are you doing it? Why are you doing it? And then off the back of that, I want you to become passionately curious about why you're doing it and how you're going to get to where you want to get to. So you've been to, you need to spend more time investing in yourself and not looking at necessarily collecting certificates. You need to actually start looking beyond that and saying, right, okay, I want to be better. So everyone, every, every coach listening to this, I want you guys to set yourself a challenge and say, I want to become the best coach in the world. Now, the reality is none of us are ever going to be able to physically tell anyone or award anyone with a title as the best coach in the world. So what does that mean? Why would I do it? Well, you do it because actually the fact that it's not attainable means no one's ever going to get that label. But if you're working towards it, you're always going to be looking to get better. That answer your question? No, it does. It does. It does. It does. And as you think yourself, because I went silent there for a moment or so, and I asked myself a couple of questions. In fact, we're talking about why. And a number of reasons why I do this podcast is like, not that yet. Yeah, I could have come on the podcast myself and and had a list of things that I wanted to talk about. But I'm very aware that other people have skill sets such as yourselves who can explain things in in different ways and 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 if I'm honest, in better depth. If that makes any sense, because I discussed obviously the Spanish coach who said something in a particular way that triggered my mindset. So I think like yeah. having you on this podcast today, I think has been very very insightful. And again, just asking my wise, like very briefly anyway. So I said I haven't mentioned Ghana in any way, shape, or form. But I do this to kind of, like, challenge challenge people, if that makes any sense. Because I think yeah. there's a number of countries out there, and I've mentioned it before, there's your Brazils, your France, your England. I mean, again, there's, there's a long list of, of, of groups of countries to which obviously have the infrastructures in place. But I do believe not everything has to be done in one specific way. And I think all those countries are a testament to that. And I believe if you put the infrastructures in place, 
infrastructures in place. And that doesn't necessarily have to be from a financial point of view. It can be from a mindset point of view as to how you're going to approach coaching in your country or how you're going to approach coaching your group, your 10, 15 kids. I really believe you can see exponential improvement if that makes any sense. And again, obviously that touches very briefly on my wise. But again, obviously I'd like to thank you for your time today. I think it's been incredibly insightful. And I think we can speak for another hour or two anyway. Um, but before we finish, would you like to point your list, point our listeners, sorry, to your content and where we can find you? Yeah, I mean, I'm on all the social platforms on Twitter. So I'm on Instagram, so you can find me on Twitter at the Coaches Net, um, on Instagram at the Coaches Network. But you can also head over to the Coaches Network.co.uk and find out a little bit more about the organisation that I, you know, I run, um, some of the coach education stuff that we do. Uh, all the information on there, you can find a little bit about me and my team and and, and the work that we do. But you know, for any coach out there, just want to maybe leave one message. Literally, just challenge yourself to be the best possible version of yourself. And I, I think, hopefully, if you've taken away anything from this conversation, it's about asking yourself better questions around who you are, why you do what you do, and where you want to get to. Thank you again. That's it for this week's episode. We'll be posting as usual via social media, keeping up with the stories as they unfold in the coming weeks. As always, if you've got any questions or queries, email us at teamgarnereu. Sorry, at email us at teamgarnereu at gmail.com. So I pause there for a second because you may want to ask um, Coach Yas some questions. So by all means, obviously, drop in his DMs and ask him some questions too. Um, thank you. Take care. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm.